0: Uh take your Bible and, and find Acts chapter 19. Coming up on another fascinating chapter, episode in this early history of the church. That's a statement you could probably put on repeat in Acts. We're in a cool neighborhood of Acts in the sense that for uh, several chapters now, we've been uh, reading about Paul's encounters in the city's to which he would later write letters that have been left for us in our New Testament. A few chapters ago, he was in Philippi, and we have the book of Philippians now. He was in the last chapter. He was in Corinth, and we have two letters to the Corinthians in our, uh, in our New Testament. Fun fact about that, judging from internal evidence in First in and Second Corinthians, it appears that Paul actually wrote four letters uh, to, to the Corinthians, what we know is First and Second Corinthians are actually Second and Fourth Corinthians, uh, but these are the two letters that that, Paul, that that the Lord saw fit to to leave for us in Scripture. And then today we come to Acts chapter 19, and uh, we we have that thing kind of thing going on again because one of the one of the richest books in our New Testament, really in the whole Bible, is is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it's here in chapter 19 that we read about the beginning of the The church there in that city. I hope you were able to read it ahead of time. I know that um, I didn't put it on the group until this morning to remind you to read it ahead of time, but hey, you were here last week and you know that we were in 18 last week, so we were going to be in 19 today. So just go ahead and read it ahead of time. Make that a good habit. You'll get more out of it when you come if you do that. But if you know, if you did read it ahead of time or if you've read it before, you know this chapter has a little bit of everything in it. It's a crazy chapter. Um, We're going to read it together and, and you'll see what I mean. So we're in Acts 19 today, but we're going to start where we left off last week at near the end of chapter 18. We'll start in verse uh, 24 and read through the end of chapter 19. And there we read, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. You're going to see, that's going to be a repeated theme in a minute. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months, by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left him, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked, you should read that, naked, and wounded. Very shameful form of naked. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been here, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said men you know that from this business we have our wealth and you see in here that not only in ephesus but in almost all of asia this paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods and there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute but also that the temple of the great goddess artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be even deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel, But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him, and even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. We really are in danger of being discharged with or being charged with rioting today. Since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, just as Joe prayed earlier, um, this is what we just read and and read in obedience to your command to not neglect the public reading of Scripture. It's your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. And it is our prayer that you would give us eyes to see truth in this passage. And, and see the truth. It's all truth. And, and hearts to embrace and love and accept and welcome the truth. And wills to obey whatever it leads us, calls us to do. Give us all ears to hear. And please give me the help that I need to teach. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, like I said, it's a crazy chapter. I mean, it begins with people who, believers, in fact, who had not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit um followed up with miracles so unusual and mir- many miracles have been done in the book of acts but these miracles were so remarkable that luke who's been writing this whole book was compelled to say in verse 11 that god was doing extraordinary miracles through the hands of paul and then seven men beaten so severely by a demon possessed man that they ran out of the house naked and wounded and then the chapter ends with a good old-fashioned riot uh, and I'm sure Paul was beginning to get used to it, so it was a crazy time, and what I want to do to try to make some sense of this of this chapter is try to describe the kind of time that it was and and uh, I'm going to describe it in three ways that first uh it was a time of great transition I, that's what i'm going to say i think this is a maybe a helpful way to to understand what what's going on in the early verses of the chapter this you have disciples who haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. <laughs> How does that happen? And then, secondarily, when you get to verses 11 through 20, and, th- and this story, this testimony of the great things that God was doing there in, in Ephesus, and a church was born, it was a time of great triumph. Uh, extraordinary miracles, and, and Jesus I've heard of, and Paul I know, and the the, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then finally though, I don't know how else you describe this riot other than that it was a time of great tribulation. Obviously the second half of the chapter. Wherever the gospel goes and wherever Jesus begins to be taken seriously, hardship increases. I think the first point is going to help us understand a little bit about the nature of our salvation and also a little bit about how to when we're on our own, how to understand some things we see in the Book of Acts that seem unusual, and then, um, and then we'll we'll move our way to through the other two points. So let's think first about how this was a time of great transition. When you read the first third of the chapter, really the the first few verses, it it can, if you're paying attention to what you read, might leave you scratching your head. It it doesn't sound it doesn't sound normal at all. Right off the bat, we read about Apollos, whom we were introduced at the end of chapter 18. He had to be instructed by Priscilla and Aquila about a few things, but Paul comes into Ephesus, and the first people he meets up with are some uh, a group of folks that are apparently already profess faith in in Jesus. Um, they already claim to be followers of Christ. In fact, in verse one, they are referred to as disciples. Now later, they're gonna they're gonna say that they had only been baptized with the baptism of John, but I do think when it says disciples here, it, it is intending to say. They were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had come uh, to believe and trust in, in Christ. Now, that being the case, what prompted Paul to ask the question he asked him in verse 2? I don't, I don't know. But in verse 2, at the beginning of verse 2, he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, it turned out to be a good question because they answer at the end of verse 2, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Verse 3 he says, Into what were you baptized then? And they said John's baptism, which was simply a baptism of repentance. Um it didn't carry all the, the symbolism and meaning of Christian baptism. But Paul explained to them that that John's baptism pointed forward to Jesus, uh, to the one who would come, who could really save. And they he's the one that they had believed in whom they had believed. And so he says in verse 5, he took them and he baptized them into the name of the Lord Jesus. In verse 6, he then lays hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, and it even said they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, this is absolutely out of the ordinary, um, to say the least. For one thing, the New Testament teaches that no one is a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit. Nobody is a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit. In John, We talked about this passage recently in John chapter 3, Jesus Talking with the Pharisee Nicodemus, in the course of that conversation, he equates the terms being born again with being born of the Spirit. Those are two ways of talking about the same reality. To be born again is to be born of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who brings about regeneration, which we call being born again. Or Paul clearly says twice in Romans 8. He says in Romans 8:9 that anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ... That second sentence there. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Just a few verses later in Romans 8, 16. It is the Spirit himself who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So it's clearly not the case that we or anybody in that day or this could be saved and then at some later point receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Spirit is the reason we come to faith in the first place. So if that's the case what in the world is going on here? They hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit which seems to me that they weren't Jews who had come to faith in Christ because it's inconceivable that a Jew wouldn't have even heard of the Holy Spirit. They were probably pagan Gentiles who had come to faith but it makes it seem also not, not only have they not heard of the Holy Spirit the way it's written makes it seem like they had not also received the Holy Spirit yet since the very next thing we read is he lays his hands on them and then they receive the Spirit and they it's evident that, that by, by their speaking in tongues and prophesying. Well, what do you make of this? I don't believe it means that they had trusted in Christ in their own power. Since no sinner has that capability, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And, but in some way, they had not formally received the Holy Spirit in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is, again, unusual. I think what this shows us is that a great many of the things that we read in Acts uh point to the fact that this was a time of great transition a lot of new things were happening uh things that had never happened before and and a lot of changes were taking place and often things happened here that happened only once they weren't meant to be repeatable they weren't meant to be the pattern of how things would always be these were normal things happening but happening in very unusual ways right mainly to show us I think God was doing this in exaggerated ways to show us something unusual is happening. Something extraordinary is is happening. And and they they happen in this way so that people would take notice of them. They would happen. It would be a normal thing, but happening in in, in an unusual way so that it would grab people's attention and they would say, oh, look, and what is the new thing that was happening? Not that people were receiving the Holy Spirit, but that the Gentiles were receiving the Holy Spirit, right? That the the Christian faith is not just this Jewish thing, but it is for all the nations. And so the Gentiles, as well as the Jews, are coming to faith in Christ. And so when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles, God caused it in these early days to happen in exaggerated ways. So it would dawn on everybody that not just us Jews, but those Gentiles also have the Spirit. And so for that reason, this was in, in this great turning point of Christian history, things were happening in this way to grab people's attention because there's a new thing on the scene and they weren't meant to be repeatable in this way. They weren't ever meant to be that thing, that way. And if anything, and, and, it, and so for example, it's not, it, this episode here is not meant to teach us that we need someone to, to lay hands on us so that we can receive the Holy Spirit after we come to faith in Christ. That's not what this is. If anything, there are Old Testament passages that prophesy that these kinds of things would, would, uh, would come to pass in the New Covenant when, when Christ came. So, for example, Ezekiel 36, God promises, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. These promises were being fulfilled now. And I believe that God caused them to be fulfilled at times here in Acts in unusual and extraordinary ways so that they were absolutely sure that they were coming to pass. So I think without question, this this funny episode just shows us that it was a time of great transition. I mean, nothing, it's not unusual that they received the Holy Spirit, but it was unusual that in the sense that it is now coming to the Gentiles, just as surely it was coming to the Jews. And to, to make it clear to everybody, it happened in overly exaggerated ways. So it was a time of great transition. But as we keep moving through the, the chapter, we see also that it was a time of great triumph. Because it tells us in verse 10 that Paul stayed on in Ephesus. Um, I don't know why that verse is right there. Um, it tells us that Paul was, was there for two more years, teaching and Preaching openly and publicly about Jesus so much so that it it tells us that pretty much everyone heard the heard the message. Verse eleven says that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Extraordinary miracles. I mean, that's an that's an understatement of the of the book. It says that handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and they were healed. God was really doing unique and remarkable things through Paul and the apostles in order to establish his church there in Ephesus, in that first generation. And in many respects, it really was a a triumphant time for the gospel, especially there in Ephesus. And you have that funny, at least to us, story of those who tried to copy Paul, and it didn't work out so well for them. They tried to cast out some demons and use the name of Jesus, not even Jesus that they knew, but that Jesus that Paul talks about, as a, sort of a magical charm, and the man po- possessed with the demon overpowered them and beat the stew out of them, and they ran away naked. Well, the remarkable thing in, that, in this story is what the demon says in verse 15. Um, I don't know what's going on in my slides. That's really weird. Isn't that funny? Okay, um, the, the, the remarkable thing is, is what he says in verse 15. He says, uh, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. Well, who are you? <laughs> of course the demons knew Jesus. He was their Lord and God, even though they were in eternal rebellion against him. It's true for anybody in this world. He is, the, he is the Lord and God of those demons. Jesus I know. And it's true of every one of us. I've said it before, but bear repeating again. This is the Lord, this is, this is the, the world that the Lord created that we live in. And when we, when we go and we share the gospel with people, when, and we, we go with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is their Lord and God, and when we when when we share the gospel with someone and they reject it and they reject us in the process and they they may become you don't have to be alarmed by that you don't have to be you don't have to respond in anger to that person you can respond in compassion and pity on that person because that person who rejects the gospel they they are not in control over whether or not jesus is lord of their life he is the Lord over their life, whether they submit to Him or not, and so it, it helps us to respond in compassion to them. But says Jesus, I know. But they even said they recognized Paul. This is this is pretty clear that God was doing something triumphant in the ministry of Paul, so much so that Satan and the demons took took notice. And and when Paul was able to cast them out when no one could, it says in verse seventeen that fear fell upon them all. And the name of Jesus was extolled. And there there was a really, really amazing account in verses 18 and 19 of how many were coming to faith in Christ. And how even some who were involved in magic burned all their books. In essence, they were burning what had been their very livelihood. Think about that to follow Jesus. They're burning their very livelihood trusting I suppose that God would give provide for them honorable work to do it was a triumphant time in the church people dramatically come into faith verse 20 says that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily but as we've seen in practically every city uh, city so far in acts where there is gospel success there's also gospel opposition it's no different in Ephesus than it is in any other city so let's, you, you can almost see it coming. So let's, let's, uh, let's think about the fact that it was a time of great tribulation, all right? So it's clear in the last half of the chapter where a riot erupts over Paul and his preaching. Now, the first thing I want to point out about this riot, I want you to notice it carefully, is that it, it began right at the time that Paul had decided it was time to move on to the next place, you know? We're told in verses 21 to 23, look, I get to use those slides, um, verses 21 to 23, that uh, Paul had resolved in the spirit to move on to the next place, leave the place, go to Jerusalem on his way to Rome. And he felt like, hey, I've been here for two years, over two years. God has done amazing things in Ephesus, things that almost had not happened in any other place so far. God had done amazing things. So maybe it's time for me to to pick up and move on. A church had begun here, and about the time that he decides it's a safe time to move on to the next place, this happened. All this erupted. Satan is so crafty. It reminds me of that verse in Luke 4, when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days. And after his third failed attempt at tempting Jesus, Jesus says, and when the devil had ended, or it says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. That seems to be his MO. Like, wait till Paul leaves. Wait till he feels like it's safe to leave. That's an opportune time. Let's, let's stir something up. Affect the town, affect Paul. And he makes use of a man who would have been particularly affected by the many, many who had come to faith in Christ. Uh, Satan made ma- use of a man who made idols. Many who had uh, and made idols for the many who had now come to faith in Christ. Uh, he made idols for their, the goddess in their pagan temple there in Ephesus. The goddess's name was Artemis. No doubt business was slacking off. Um, and in fact, he, <laughs> when he begins to to his quest to get people stirred up, he he mentions specifically in verses twenty five and twenty six that his livelihood was slipping away, and he 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 tries to tell them too. I'm sure you've noticed your livelihood is slipping away. He says, "Men, you know, men, you know, that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away." great many people saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. What a contrast here by the way. (laughs) What a contrast with those earlier who willingly set their livelihoods on fire and burned their books uh, to follow Christ knowing that God would show them favor and provide a new livelihood. But this guy named Demetrius in verse 24 liked the money he was making and he didn't want to lose it so he stirred people up. Jesus said, you cannot serve God in money. You really can't. And what a scene it was. It tells us twice, twice, that the whole crowd was sent into confusion. Not not just anger, confusion. Verse 29, it says that the, the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together. And verse 32 plainly says, most of them did not know why they had come together they rush together anyway, that's kind of scary. I mean, that is really kind of scary. That's a volatile place to be when you've got the whole city rushing together, and they don't really know why. They feel like they're supposed to be mad, but don't know what they're supposed to be mad about. It's a particularly volatile place to be. And it says in verse 34 that for about two hours, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Imagine that. Who still worships Artemis of the Ephesians? I don't know of anybody. Satan does not care how he deceives. He doesn't care. How bitterly disappointed those must be now who put their hope in Artemis rather than Christ. But at the moment, in that moment, it had to put some measure of fear uh, into the hearts of those, who, those new believers. To see everybody, think, of, think if you were one of those new believers. And your whole town is in uproar. Your whole town is rushing together in confused anger because of what you believe now. Because of the one you've now put your faith in. And to see everybody in the city rushing together and to see them shouting and railing for two hours and to see them dragging men who had been companions of Paul, Paul whom you've come to know, Paul whom you've come to love and trust, two of his companions dragged into the theater by a mob. That had to be terrifying. And that was the goal. Through fear to put a stop to the advance of the gospel and the growth of the church. You should, never, you, should, you should never expect serious discipleship. You should never expect serious-minded following of Jesus and, and honest obedience to his commands. You should never expect that to be smooth sailing. Never. Remember back in chapter 14 when Paul told those new believers in Lystra that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. But Scripture equips us before, for those days before they even come. Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. And Paul reminds us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I always found that to be an interesting phrase. We are more than conquerors. I can understand what it means to be a conqueror. It's fun to imagine what it might mean to be more than one, more than a conqueror. But indeed, we are in Christ. Let's pray.